everyone. Welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFoe. And I'm Lorian McKenna. And today we are thrilled to be welcoming writing partners John Hoberg and Kat Lickle to discuss Disney and Pixar's Elemental, as well as their impressive career as TV comedy writers and showrunners. Kat and John's writing partnership spans over two decades, working on shows like Gallivant, My Name is Earl, Better Off Ted, and Blackish. They're joining us today to talk about their career in TV, discuss the dynamics of working in a writing partnership, and of course, their work on Elemental. But first, Kat and John have agreed, because I've made them, join our first segment, which is Adventures in Screenwriting, or what do we do this week? So, Lauren, you go first. What did you do this week? I have no idea. But what I'm working on is um, trying to notice the expectations I set on myself and like in terms of my goals or uh, relationships or anything, really, all the things I have to do um, and notice it without judgment so that I can understand what my process is. So usually I'll be like, oh, my God, I ran out of time. Fill in. I'm X failure. And then it bottoms me out. And then the next day, I already feel like I'm in a deficit. But in, but instead, I'm trying to work in on noticing. Okay, I didn't plan that very effectively. Like yesterday, I got off an airplane from, you know, the Midwest. I was tired. My kid, take my kid to the doctor. And then I realized, oh, she has going to her concert. She's going to need a new outfit. And she tween freaked out all over the mall. So by the time I got home at five o'clock, I was like, I'm not going to write for two hours today that's not happening. I'm tween exhausted. So sort of noticing why did I think I could do that? Was I setting myself up for failure on purpose? And then just sort of letting it go. Okay, what did I learn? On a travel day, I probably shouldn't schedule much. You'd think I would know this by now, but I didn't. I had bigger, I had some, I thought I was somebody else. So you and I always have bigger meals. Uh, Yes. What is that? phrase about my eyes are bigger than my stomach plate is bigger something something clever so i'm trying to notice it without judgment without immediately trying to fix or assess or analyze just like okay that happened and then give myself a week to see what i'm actually doing in the course of a week how much writing time i'm actually getting done was my goal even realistic around my writing so it's really really hard because, you know, I don't have anything due, really. I am writing for myself right now. So it's uh, it's confusing, too, not to judge myself. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with all that extra <laughs> space in my brain, right? What? Wait, if I can't judge myself, what? Oh, and then I feel less awful. It's so weird. Anyway, so... That's what I'm working on. And the reason I'm working on this is because I have a group of writers I've brought together and I'm running an accountability workshop with them. And I realize the things that I'm teaching them are the things I have to be doing as well. So, you know, teaching always brings up all this stuff like, oh, you got to do it too, dummy. So that's what I've been working on this week. Trying not to feel awful. One thing I really like about that, Lorian, quickly, because I feel like I'm taking away something about what you're saying is... That's how we should approach our characters, right? In a non-judgmental kind of objective way. Like just let them speak to us and let their flaws feel meaningful on the page and, you know, not always try to fix them because when we try to fix our characters too quickly, we prevent our stories from being interesting. So I love the like kind of observational objectivity you're taking with yourself. And I'm stealing that. I think that's really, really good. It comes from my approach of working with my characters because I think you have to love your characters no matter what. 
You have to get them to trust you. So they show up for you so that you can tell their story, but it's so hard not to judge them. And I thought, what if I applied that to myself and I allowed myself to maybe, this is going to be really hard to say, loved myself no matter what. <laughs> that's not real. That's so, impossible. That's not real. Sorry. I said that I feel <laughs> deeply ashamed, deeply ashamed. Lock me in the cupboard. Um, anyway. So yes. And then maybe I could apply that to other people too. Oh God, I'm evolving. I don't like it. Okay. Someone else go. Someone All else right. go. Kat and John, how was your week? Uh, good. Do you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it, it's actually a really fun week. We, um, we've been working on a stage musical for a little bit and the producers flew us out to New York to work with our lyricist um, and the producers for a week. And we've got like a downtown like space where you can hear other people like practicing for musicals and things. And we oh, have a, fun. It's so it's showbiz. It feels like showbiz. <laughs> like people with leg warmers walking around. I expect Gene Kelly to come in. And, yeah. um, How many jazz hands do you see a day? <laughs> a lot. And I'm going to get like <laughs> tomorrow, I think, just so I feel like I'm really in the moment. But it's really cool. It's something we we got bit by the musical bug when we worked on that show Gallivant. And this has been kind of a dream is to do a stage musical. And we're working with Glenn Slater, who's the lyricist from, you know, he did School of Rock. He's Alan Menken's lyricist. He's wow. done and he just knows what he's talking about. And what is exciting and also really hard is it's a different style of writing. And mm. Glenn is an expert and we're new at it. <laughs> and so it's a lot of learning again. And it's kind of, it's scary and fun. Like having lunch, we turned in the first act and, uh, you know, you try to read between the lines on the emails you get beforehand. And so we went into lunch with the producer and, you know, and they were really happy with it, but you can tell, well, it's like, yeah, it's a great first draft <laughs> kind of vibe. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, it's done. But uh, so anyway, it's, it's been, it's been really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, my writing week, aside from this, I'm not going to duplicate what he said, um, I got my first big set of notes on the book I just wrote. And so I'm walking around our hotel room, like venting. The F word is coming out a lot, throwing <laughs> things. I'm talking about how dumb they are. Hi, if you're listening, you're not really dumb. <laughs> um, but it's like, yeah, so I'm just like, uh, right now, it's like as soon as this computer closes and we're doing something else, I'm going to go right back to talking about how dumb you're not dumb they are not <laughs> so you're in the first stage of getting notes which is fuck you yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well I mean I, I thought it was beyond that because this is like the second rewrite um I've gotten you know a couple of a couple of sets of notes from them already so for me this was I thought this was a polish I thought this was like hey now we're gonna all be on the same page and I just got like so it's like we're two separate Muppets and I'm like, New York, New York. And like cats like raging. <laughs> it's it's a really weird energy in the Give hotel. Give me a scotch. I need a scotch. <laughs> well, that just tells me that writing is writing is writing. Could be a novel, could be a musical, it could be a script, could be a, doesn't matter because you're going to get those notes and you're, you're going to yeah. either appreciate them and sing New York, New York, or you're going to rage and need a scotch, right? I think that's so valuable to hear because sometimes I think, what if I just wrote a book? And I imagine this like easy version of writing, right? I get to write a whole book. And or what if I go back to playwriting? I could just write a play, you know, but I, I forget that writing is writing is writing. And there's always somebody who's going to give me notes and it's always going to make me mad and then make me sad and then make me figure it out. So it 
it uh it's all the same there is no uh glamorous alternative we just yeah. pick and execute it's we're making the sausage and it's ugly when you make the yeah. sausage. the best part of writing is when you're sitting alone in your room and you just focused and you're doing it and you feel like you're flowing and it's just like nothing can touch me this is great i feel like i'm on a magic carpet ride and then you crash <laughs> yes or the, suddenly there's no carpet anymore and there's you're just falling through space. There yeah. was never a carpet. Yeah, there was there never was a carpet. Never a carpet in the first you place. You were in a sewer. You didn't even <laughs> know it. Exactly. The matrix cord gets pulled out and you're just in the pod. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys have had a very long experience with writing that the magic carpet does come back, don't you think? I mean, it is a constant shift between magic carpet ride. No, we're in the sewer. Magic carpet ride, sewer. Until finally... You're like, oh, my God, like I would think and you guys tell me as showrunners, you know, there's the show and we like it. Like, does that happen? You, The, the carpet comes back, right? I think yeah. we trust that it comes back now. I mean, 100 percent trust that it will it will, you know, it, it will come back. I mean, the good thing about running a show and stuff is there's no time to worry because you're there's it's you're so busy. It's so insanely busy and there is no well, I don't feel like writing today that you don't have time to kind of get caught up in worrying about it. You just kind of have to do it. I actually, that's what I liked about and hated about the job. Yeah. Um, is that it took away any of that sort of, hmm, what, what do I think? What should I do? And it's like, you just got to act, um, which, and you just got to trust that what you think in that moment is right. Hopefully, you know, more often than not, it is. Yeah. And sometimes it's not. <laughs> sometimes it's terrible. <laughs> Sometimes you you get in the edit and you're like, wow, what was I thinking? But luckily, you have the edit, right? Yeah, so you can yeah. sit in the edit. I haven't run a show, but I've had that experience at Pixar where you're like, this is amazing. This is totally, no, no, yeah, no, that doesn't work at all. Yeah. Shit. I remember. Uh, so it's funny. Go ahead. I, what happened to me in post is I was for sure we got a shot. So I spent like a lot of time digging through the edit, digging through all the dailies. We know we have that shot because yeah. that shot will fix all of this. And we never got that shot. Like I thought, yeah. like I must have made it up on that day on set or something, and when I don't know what happened to it, but it was there. We got that shot. And on set, anything can happen. It could be like you were getting ready to tell somebody about to get that yes. shot, and then somebody came up behind you and went, "Oh, we have an actor who won't come out of their dressing room." You know, it's like, and then you're every all your plans are out the window. Yes. Well, what's the thing? I, I love the saying. I'm probably gonna get it wrong. Uh, there's the the movie you plan to shoot, the movie you thought you shot, and then you're left with the movie you actually shot. Yeah. And I think that was always the thing that was a little shocking uh, when running a show. And it was a thing that would keep you up every night, uh, like after you you wrapped. It's like, what did we actually shoot? Um, sometimes you shot what you thought, but usually you didn't 100%. And surprisingly at Pixar, even though we had absolute control over every single shot, it's still, there were moments when that would still happen. Be like, uh -huh. why didn't that, well, we literally can control anything we see and hear. And yet it's still not the thing I thought we did. Right. <laughs> sure, you both had that experience. All three of you had that experience, you know. So. Yeah, it was, that was such a unique experience. I mean, yeah. it really was. Uh, I'm so glad we did it. Well, I'll just quickly okay. do my week and we'll yeah. jump into it and uh, well, first, I listened to this amazing episode of The Hidden Brain all about um, our pleasure dopamine addiction in our brain because of our current modern world and how uh, pleasure and pain is a seesaw in your brain. And if the, the higher the pleasure goes, the little kind of neuron gremlins will jump on the pain part and try to get you back even. 
and uh, and and how you can't literally think you're going to have a life of pleasure all the time because your brain literally will not let you do that. It has to balance out with some kind of quote unquote pain, i.e. exercise for me or whatever. Like you don't want to get out of bed or whatever that pain could be. It doesn't have to be physical pain. It could be existential pain, whatever. And I was like, oh, well, and then they were talking about how to have this in your life. So, you know, make, you know, do exercise in the morning, get it out of the way, get a lot of gremlins on the one side of the seesaw and your brain will start to balance out the other side. Um, and I was like, well, we're writers. So like we do, that's all we do all day long is gremlin jumping on, on both sides of the seesaw. It's literally like tea party, right? One it's minute, like, come on in. It, 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 it literally is like carpet. I'm on a magic carpet. No, I'm in a sewer. This is terrible. Pain, 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 pain. Carpet. I mean, I mean, I I just think we have a very special seesaw in our head because we work it out so much as writers. Um, but it's a great episode if you guys anybody wants to listen. Um, and then uh, just in terms of the writing process, my husband and I are writing together a, a passion project, and we just had, which I thought sp- speaks to you guys because you guys are collaborators as well. Like we had this weird conversation. It's not an argument, but kind of talk about wires crossed where we were talking about the same character and yet somehow we weren't. And why are we disagreeing about that? Are we disagreeing about this? Are we together? No, he would do that, but he would do that. And I would be like, he's a supporting character. Why would, why would we spend all that time doing that? Blah, 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 blah. And finally I was like, wait a minute, who's in your head? And he was like somebody, I can't remember. It was like Carrie Elways. And I was like, no, 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 it's Kyle Chandler. Like it was just the guy, like we had completely this assumption in our head of who this person was. And it really helps to just pick an actor or a face or something so that as a team, we're not even actually disagreeing on uh, in a bad way. It's like, oh, wait, we, we, it was so clarifying for this supporting character. And maybe it's because as a supporting character, you don't ever think about it, but they're going to, they're supporting, they have to actually impact the plot. So it was important. Um, So that was just an interesting kind of a collaboration moment uh, in writing, which I'm ca- really excited to talk to you guys about collaboration. Um, yeah, just uh, but- don't collaborate with a spouse. That's all I would say. <laughs> well, which I'm doing. Thank you. I know. Why? I, why? <laughs> Literally, Joe said to me, man, we're spending a lot of time together. <laughs> yeah, I've been married 24 years. I feel like we should get credit for 50 years. Like we've spent so much time together. I don't think we're ever further than like 15 feet from each other. Usually. It's very Well, odd. I've been married for 23 years and I still feel like I should get credit for 50, even <laughs> though we don't write together. <laughs> that's a long fucking time. <laughs> it is. It's like dog years. I mean, I love being married, but yeah, oh. same, but at yeah. the same time, always, always, you know, so we all get credit, but yes, you guys have a particularly, odd for me i can't imagine working with my husband like he he worked at pixar for a little bit while i worked there too and i would see him and i'd be like just pretend we don't know each other just keep (laughs) on walking this is my space you showed up great you're here i love it i love that you're happy but like stay over there i got stuff to do (laughs) i think that still happens i mean we're writing together but there's moments i'm like you know what i just need my space i just need to leave and go write this and does that not happen for you guys? Oh, yeah, we have our separate space. Like we, I know a lot of couples are like, well, we have to have dinner together every night. And there's sort of this, because they've been at work apart from each other, but we're very good at um, having our own space. And like, we have a, we have a second place that we uh, go to. And sometimes one of us will just be like, you know what, I'm going to go up and I'm going to go to Solvang for, you know, a couple days. And, you know, is, or, do you want to come? And if the other person doesn't want to, we're fine with that. 
I think it's because we banked those 50 years. <laughs> but it, 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 you know, it really works to have that time alone. And we actually, this is kind of going to sound strange, but we drive separately everywhere. Um, like if we go to meetings, even going to solving, if we're going for the same time, we always drive separately. And I think it's just giving us that, that little bit of, you know, our own, our own place. And you have a getaway option. Yeah. And a getaway yes, option. A getaway option. Yeah. yeah. I think every, I think every couple needs their own private mental space that they can go to, that they don't have to constantly be sharing it. Particularly when you, when you're writing together, you're so enmeshed in each other's thoughts and, um, uh, that you've you've got to have that time to break away. Otherwise, you will just you'll go mad, you know. Well, we had a rule when we first started. The rule was because we would you know, we would talk. You know, how you talk about work, you know, if, with people you work with. It, we would just talk shop all the time. And we finally had a rule when we started uh, working on shows. That it's like we couldn't talk about work anymore once we got out of the car. And we'd sit in the car sometimes for two hours <laughs> talking about work. And we really held to it because it, it otherwise it just sort of there were no boundaries anymore. It bleeds over. It bleeds over and takes over your entire life. Yeah. I feel like that's such a great idea, like with parenting, like with any sort of collaborative project you have, even with friends, you know, Meg and I have written projects together, too. And like there comes a part, or even with this podcast, right? Like sometimes we have to go spend time together just as friends. We're not going to talk about writing. We're not going to talk about the podcast. We're just going to go hang out. And I just think in any relationships, it's so important to do that so that you remember your friendship, your partnership, whatever, isn't just all about the one thing. Um, This is great. I'm getting all this marriage advice. The biggest thing I've got though, is that I need a place in solving that I can just say, Hey, do you want to come? I hope not. I'm going to go. Okay. Bye. (laughs) <laughs> and just take off for three days. Like that sounds dreamy. Like <laughs> coming back for three weeks. What's going on? <laughs> we have a guest You're house, good, right? Give us a call. We'll give you the key to the guest house. <laughs> I love it. I'm great. I, I seriously, I'm calling you after this. Now, like, hi. I, I, I do have a question. Do you guys literally write? Like, do you put a a page up and write together on the page, or do you block it out and then he, you know, somebody takes a piece of it and somebody takes a piece of it and then you come back together. How do you actually collaborate as writers? We've tried it all. And there were lots of fights early on when we tried to write like the actual script together, the first draft of it. And what we finally came to is we would outline like very detailed outlines, even where you might have an exchange that says, she says this, he says this, but we would agree on the outline. And and then the rule was you're not allowed to freelance at all when we go to script and we'd split up scenes and it, it might just be like, yeah, I have, I, I like this scene. I like this scene. But what we discovered is you can't then just go on a flight of fancy and in, it, it's like, if you do that, you start to get invested on your flight of fancy and now you've brought it back and then we would fight. So the idea would be you bring back this draft that is the outline exactly. And then now you can both put it on the screen and be like, man, this outline was terrible, but it's no longer us anymore. It's that outline was terrible. (laughs) And then we go through and rewrite this terrible outline that somebody wrote into a script. And that seems to work best. Yeah. And then. And by the way, I used to be the flight of fancy person. John's being very, (laughs) I would go off and then I would like have an idea and just run with it. And it's like, I work in, um, I kind of tend to work in thought bubbles, like, oh, boom, you know, and then it goes down. And um, uh, so I would put all this time into the section I was writing, and then I would hand it in to John and he, it would just be, it would have affected stuff that he was writing, you know, and so we 
had to make a hard and fast rule. But then when we team up together, we could talk about those thought bubbles, you know, those. Extra- so were you writing your thought bubbles like on a different document or something so that you could keep track of it? Or did you did you have the brain that you were just keeping track of it? I will. I would now I'll make a note. I'll make a note of it and, you know, and keep it. And, uh, uh, you know, so that we can talk about it later. But it's like those two things have to be very separate because once it's written on the written on the page that we're like eventually going to be turning in, it's like it's like, no, that's that's in there now. That's just that's just it's I'm sorry. It's that's the word down there. There's but no you, backspace. <laughs> but I feel like because you need to play, you have to play. And I think what it was is we were playing separately until we made this rule. And now we're playing together. Like, so ah. it's probably a terrible, boring draft. Now we get to run off on these crazy little flights of fancy, but we're doing it together because we're both finding that part fun. And so now it's like all bets are off. We can run anywhere we want because it's us as a team doing it. Um, but there's something so daunting about sitting there with a blank page and then trying to argue over how to phrase the slug line. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, no. Do you do <laughs> that that sounds horrible to me. <laughs> when you write uh, individually on your own stuff, do you all do you do that too? Do you outline, write the boring draft or the brilliant draft, whatever it is, and then go from there? Or do you do, how do you guys differently approach it when you're writing by yourselves? What's writing by yourself? Ah, okay. <laughs> Answered. I I do. I think I, I I love an outline. I love an outline. Um, and and then just working off of that. But what I do, um, like what I did with my book is I, uh, how do I do this? Came up with my idea, and then I spend a lot of time cleaning house going to get coffee and just having little things come to my head that I write down. And, and sometimes it would be a page or a couple of pages. Sometimes it would just be a paragraph. Sometimes it would be a note. Hey, think about this. Um, and then eventually I'll compile all those things together. I was like, for my book, I probably, the book is, I don't know, 220 pages long. I think I probably have 500 pages in my computer and a lot of it is just stream of consciousness kind of whatever that eventually I picked this out of it I plucked that out of it I plucked that out of it those were the good thoughts and the rest of it was just the stuff that got me to those thoughts so I'll I'll spend a lot of time writing all that stuff down this is the long way of saying I spent a lot of time writing that stuff down and then winnow out, winnow it down. And then that's what like he'll see, or that's what will go into my draft. One, a couple other questions on collaboration before we jump over to elemental. Um, so if you're in a, a writer's room and you're show running, how does that team work now? Because is it the same thing? It's, you're getting to outline and how do you, if you have disagreements in front of other people or, or do you have any rules in terms of being in that room? Um, you know, it, it, what we learned, we, we learned from a lot of the best showrunners in comedy between Victor Fresco, Greg Garcia, Dan Fogelman. And we would kind of pick up some of the things that they would do. Uh, and Dan Fogelman, we really learned a lot from because he would, he would sort of sit there and let the room talk out stuff a lot of times and see where it wanted to go. And then he would be there and he would always throw in ideas and, and we always throw in ideas. But part of your job is like, you have an idea of where you want it to go, but now you just let the room pitch on it because they may come up with something even better. Um, 
Um, but you also have to be pretty decisive about where you want the room to go. Otherwise, it just bleeds out. And so we would usually start every morning, just the two of us, and we learned this from these showrunners, coming in with a really clear plan of here's what we're going to do, here's what we want, and let the room know that. We, we want to get through breaking the first half by lunch. And uh, so now we're on the same page, and we probably already talked out what we think it should be in some form. And so we kind of have a path of what what makes the most sense. Um, so that way it's like you're getting, I think you're getting the most out of your staff because a staff that doesn't know what you're looking for yeah. is that's your problem and it's not going to be a very helpful staff. Well, and once they know what you're looking for, they can also, um, they'll, you know, you get them focused to pitch on those kinds of things, but also uh, always listen for that off off idea, that thing that that off piece thing. And we've tried, I used to, me particularly, I would come into the room with like, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, because this is what it is in my head. And, um, and, uh, and uh, I've learned, I learned a lot more to listen to the offbeat idea, which I should know, because I'm the one in the writer's room when I'm not running it. I'm the one in the writer's room who's pulling stuff in from left field, usually. Um, that's something that may not end up in the script, but maybe spark something else. But when I was sitting in the driver's seat or in the 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 cop chair, I uh, I would shut that down in other people. And so I had to learn to let all of that run and let people uh, let let your team talk stuff out you and and take from them and and harvest from them the things that really work harvest harvest i know so i'm a Your room sounds exciting yeah. everybody's tied to a chair and we harvest yeah. there's like a ritual after where there's you know you have to but i think everything you're saying is kind of what's happens in all of our heads do you know what i mean you could be a feature writer and your intellect brain comes in and goes, and today we're doing this and this and this is our outline. And this little voice goes, but what about this? Like you had that idea in the shower and that's kind of cool. And you're like, no, we're not doing that. Like I do think it's just, it all just comes out of your head and it's suddenly in the room was what it sounds like to me, at least in well, my head. I don't know. No, and then the danger when you first start doing it, when you have to run a room, there's a moment of panic where it's like, ah, this is falling. like, we call it balloons where it's like you're holding a bunch of balloons and all of a sudden like you let go and balloons are floating away everywhere and you're like trying to grab the balloons. Sorry, we had a story. I know we did. And you want to be right. like, stop off-roading. Let's get back on the path. But then that's insecurity, you know? And it's like, okay, you know what? We knew what the path was at the beginning that we liked. You got to just chill out and let it kind of roll. Um, and you what's know, your best... advice to emerging writers who want to get in that room um, and be a writer at that table? Like in terms of writers that you... Think, I, you know, I, mistakes you've seen or you've done or or good things. You know, I, I I think the job of every writer in a, on a staff, from staff writer to co-executive producer, um, is to help the showrunner try to row in the direction they're wanting to row and try to help them find that direction. The upper level writers should be saying, well, here's what I think. And they can push back a little bit more. They've got the experience. But um, for... I think emerging writers in your first few jobs, but I really do think it goes all the way up until it's your own show. You want to be the one to help the showrunner find what they want. Like if the showrunner comes in and it's like, I want this to be an underwater ballet this week and everyone in the room, it's easy. Anybody could say that's that doesn't make any sense. This isn't an underwater show. There's no music. Be the person who tries to figure out how to make that work. And if you're that, you will not get fired. People want that around. The person who 
tries to help you see your vision through. Um, yeah. And that's that's what we started doing early. Like, and it's fun. It's actually fun to try to figure out how to make something work that might not work. Right. And I had one moment where we were we were breaking it uh, a story. Uh, I'd been put in charge of a room, and um, we're heading to. We had a bump towards the end of the story. Like it was a it was a sitcom, so it was a bump in the in the final act. And one of the writers, um, and he was a younger, a younger guy who was not experienced in the room. And he pitched a fix that meant going back to page one and rewriting the entire thing. And I, he pitched it out and I was like, so you want us to go back to page five and change. And it's like, and I walked him through the whole thing. And I was, I have to say, I was probably a little harsher than I should have been because it was, it, it was like four days of work. It was four days of work that he was just like unthreading. And I was like, literally, really, you want us to go back to act one and do this so that we now have to rewrite everything after that, rather than let's work on this moment here because we know we can find a fix. Okay, but I have to it's ask just, you a question. That's what, I have that's to ask what you a question. Pixar was. I that's Pixar, say, right? Like I saw that over and over I mean, and over. <laughs> I'm saying the exact same thing. Like we had somebody on Inside Out One who is a genius and I think is amazing, but he would listen after, and it was like six hours in the room and you're exhausted and you're like, we have something. We have chiseled this out of our souls and worry and nothingness. And he would go, are we in the mind? And I'd be like, no, 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 no. Don't you dare. No, no. And then, but Pete really loved that. He loved allowing any curveball to come in because he just, you know, and because it's features, it's very different, right? You're not on a TV schedule, like right? ba 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 ba. How was that for you guys? What's the Pixar process, and how does it? What was your experience of it? I remember on the first few days, because there's these rules, like if you're a, a staff writer on television and you pitch problems without a positive solution, you can get you've been, you know, you do that three times, they're not going to want you in the room anymore, and especially like support staff do not pull the legs out from underneath the story. And I remember like on day three, it's that feeling where you have a piece of coal and a little bit of like, like straw and you're blowing on it. You're, like what you're talking about, it's like, this is going to be a fire. And I remember one of the support staff just literally just stepped on it. It's like, that doesn't work because of this. And, and our director was getting into the idea a little bit. And I just remember us like, what just happened? Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> this is not allowed. <laughs> and this then is not allowed. And it killed it. Yeah. And it was like, wow. Um, so that was that was different, but we kind of adjust. I think we adjusted to it a little bit when we got the game, which is okay. Let's just try another yeah. path. And uh, but it was an adjustment. But I feel like television rooms kind of were the perfect. I mean, we worked our way up from staff writer through every level, and uh, so we'd kind of seen it all before in different ways. And so I think that really helped. It was like we went through a training ground yeah. for the Pixar. Yeah, I mean, I think that in any room, you're going to get naysayers or people who are really trying to help. And I, naysayers isn't even the right word. They're really trying to help by saying, I I'm nervous that doesn't work because yeah. I can I can see you're, walk you're going to walk into a wall, right? Yeah. And I do think it takes, um, it just takes experience to have the solution, right? Um, listen, Andrew Stanton was on this show and he was like, nobody tell me what doesn't work unless you have a solution. Like this is part of any creative process. That's a group process. Right. So I don't I don't think it's uh, special to Pixar even. So 
you have said about Pixar development, how character-based it is, um, and that in television, it can be more plot-based. How did you guys find that? Did you love it? Did you find as writers you had to shift or was it kind of like, what was the experience of of moving so character? And I would assume thematically based. Yeah, I feel like when we first got there, the you know, the, the movie was in a sort of that iterative stage where it, it um, I think the big struggle with Elemental was, uh, you know, there was this question early on, and Meg, you were in a lot, so many of these meetings, is it a romantic comedy or is it a family story with whether it's trauma or whatever? And it was like, how do you, how do you find those two things? So the movie started to feel like two different movies because it's like the first attempts at a solution where the first half is romance and the second half becomes uh, more about family. And I honestly, I think we came in with the attitude of this needs a little plot. Um, it's it's It doesn't have an I want that goes all the way to the very end. It has an I want that gets halfway through and then it becomes a new I want, right? And so I, and we talked to Pete a lot about this at the beginning, like how do we, is there a, we always called it the moonshot goal that it's like, it's the big one that gets all the way to the end. And I think for us, I think it was helpful to have a couple of people who were used to, you have the characters in television that are established and now you've got to find their I want and what's the obstacle. And so we, we kind of came in with a lot of that um, attitude, I think at the beginning. And, uh, and I think it was helpful, but it also, you know, I mean, it can lead you slightly into directions where you aren't, you aren't going after just character drive, which to me was the most exciting thing to start to learn. I feel like we went to graduate school, by the way, in writing at being at Pixar. It was it was spectacular. I say the same thing. Yeah. I went to I got my MFA in playwriting and then I showed up at Pixar and I was like, oh, yeah. structure. <laughs> right. The structure is coming from the characters I want and the obstacles to that versus it's a plot you're overlaying to put this character through and uh and i think that was it was interesting to have that yeah. shift i i find that often in my feature writing that there is an i want that kind of deflates at the midpoints would you mind elaborating a little bit specifically on that because i think it's like really valuable and i see it happening in my own writing and i have it's very common too it's very yeah. very common to um in early drafts how did you guys how do you deal with that if 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 it's happening or how do you try to make it not happen well can and can we speak specifically about Elemental? Is that helpful? It, I think the biggest thing with Elemental, fi finally finding it, was because it, it was this constant balance of is it romantic comedy or is it, you know, and it was the I want. What's Ember's I want? And there was an early version where she knew she wanted to leave the city, um, almost like a Disney princess at the beginning, singing about I want to leave this town. And and that felt very young. I remember Pete was like, that. that's not the experience that I had. Um, it, I didn't realize the burdens and things like that until I was in my mid twenties. And so we started toying with like, I want to take over this shop. Right. But that's what we started to discover is that's a very intellectual want in a lot of ways. And so, and it also kind of fizzled out because when you had this romantic comedy, it's like, okay, do I want the shop or not? And there's love. And so we finally kind of landed on, I want to be a good daughter. Like that's what I want. That's programmed into Ember at the very beginning of this thing. And I think the reason that bow works at the end of that movie is because that's she finally gets the you're a good daughter moment at the end. So that's what I would say. If it fizzles out in the middle, it's probably not a big enough goal or it's not a deep enough. Deep goal. enough. It's not something. 
it, it's almost like find the thing that they don't want to deal with and make it a, the hardest possible thing to pull out of them. Yeah. And to us, it's always a, a sign like we're not digging deep enough if it feels solvable halfway through the thing. And I and I think one of the ways we eventually got to that was because like John said, we did go through the I want to I want to take over the shop. Um, you know, kind of is that, uh, was as John and I always call it the house number, the sort of the, 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 the simple, the simple, um, goal that you're going for. I'm looking for that house number. Um, and, uh, and then it becomes discussions to, to, you got to question. We started to question. And I think with, when you're looking at anybody's goal, it's like, why do they want that? What does that mean to them? What is the deeper drive behind it? It's not just, I want to be a good daughter. It's all about how does she feel about herself? What does she feel she owes her father? You know, all of those things, you've got to look at everything. It's a, you've got to always ask the question, why? When you think you found the simple goal, the next question is, but why that goal? And you got to keep, you just got to keep on peeling it until you get to the center thing that um, uh, almost has no words. It's that thing that you feel so deeply that it almost doesn't have words. And I think for Ember, it was so deep in her and she didn't have the words for it. I want to be a good daughter. I want to be a good daughter to my, to my dad. And I want to make him happy. And I want to fulfill that thing in him. Um, rather than fulfilling something in herself. Do, do you remember, uh, and it feels like uh, so many of those stories, it's like people have all these intellectual barriers they've put mm. up to make their lives normal somehow. And then you're kind of, your job is to just rip them away from that person until it, uh, there's Ember at the end of that movie sitting on the bridge. And Meg, I remember we discussed this and it's like, how do we get to the gorilla emotion of that where there's no longer yeah. words, you just want to scream and throw something. And if you're not there, Yet, then that's where you got to get, I think, is like to the point where all you can do is scream because that is, it's so raw versus it's intellectual or it's something you've put up in front of yourself. And it's so the way you get down into the human condition. That's why the audiences can relate to it no matter where they are, how old they are. It doesn't matter because it's just about being human. And so much of what you're talking about, too, is trying to dig down to that so that the audience can want it, too. Right. Like so many times, be it Pixar or wherever, you're like, she wants to be class president. She wants her sh a shop. And you do those many drafts trying to make that emotional. But it's just not emotional because, like you said, what does that mean for her? What does being class president mean for this person? Because that's going to be the kind of common human thing that we're all like, yeah, now I want you to be class president. So I do. I totally agree. And it is m so much of the work. And you're saying, right, that that's also where then the plot comes out of that. Yes. Yeah, I think that's I don't know. I feel like it is that what do I what do I want? You're trying to solve. You're trying to solve this deeper want. And she, and you know, you may not, you know, you want to be a good daughter. So now you're going to the extreme ends of the earth to try to preserve that. And in Ember's case, it's, I want to be a good daughter, but there's always that but. And the but is, uh, you know, to be a good daughter means take over the shop, but I have this temper. And then the temper around the midpoint is revealed to be actually, it's her telling her she doesn't want to run the shop. So now it's become a deeper, more active obstacle but it is why it's the plot because every bit of that plot is i want to be a good daughter in some form all the way you know to the end 
Now, I know that this was a very personal movie to Pete. So can you guys talk about coming in? And like you said, you need to row in the direction the director is, you know, put the boat. But I think as a writer, it also you have to find what's personal to you about it, meaning that human thing in order to write it. How did you guys uh, thread that needle in terms of writing this film for Pete and yet having to find what what was meaningful to you guys? To me, so, okay, so this whole thing of uh, am, am I a good daughter, right? Uh, I want to take over this thing. Bizarrely, I had a grandfather who was a fighter pilot. I was expected to be the grandkid to go into the Air Force Academy and all this other stuff. And then I became a hippie stoner at one point and then decided not to do that. And he forever, he lived to be 103 and we became really good friends later, but it was bad for about six years. And even at 100, he took a dig at me. He's like, I, I'd hate to go to my grave without flying a high performance fighter. <laughs> but um, I could really relate to this sense. And it's as far from Pete's specifics as possible, but it's the exact same emotional thing to lock into, which is I let down someone that I greatly loved and admired because I wasn't that person. Um, and so for me, that's how I was able to lock yeah. in. Well, for me, I, I mean, in, in, I didn't have a fighter pilot uh, grandfather, um, but uh, my family is an immigrant family. I'm second generation American uh, Dutch. Nobody, nobody, Dutch are not the glamorous, um, sort of the glamorous immigrants. We came with wooden shoes and white bread. <laughs> But um, but it was it was a there's a culture there that was very much in my family, at least um, cannot speak for all Dutch people across the world. But in my family, it was very much you live a very practical life. You you um, you look for that practical job that is going to support your family. You know, you make sure there's food on the table. You make sure your bills are paid. You make sure, you know, all of these very, like for me felt like very um, enclosing things. And- uh, Well, you weren't allowed to read the color comics. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. And it was a very uh, Dutch Christian reform uh, is a kind of where uh, that I grew up in is it is, uh, can be very, um, uh, can very, very conservative religion. So I was not allowed to read, read the uh, colored comics on Sunday. I had to wait until Monday. Um, the thought of being like actors were, were like that. There's something really sinful there. And it was like, you were just meant to stick to the practical goals. And um, there was a lot of stuff that was forbidden. And I was very much, I remember in my um, Sunday school class, always asking the question, why, to our pastor. It's like, why is this? Why is this? I became the why girl. It was like very annoying to everybody. And um, uh, and so it's like I understood, I, had a, I didn't understand what my own want was for, for a long, long time until I finally realized I had this creative thing inside of me and I thought I wanted to act. And so that was where all my first stuff was. And I kept it really quiet because in my family, actors, that's a sinful thing. It's like actors are like, you know, don't you don't want an actor in the family. Um, and so I never told anybody about it. And finally, I do remember one day in Sunday school, uh, our minister actually asked us all what we wanted to do. And I very bravely, I was terrified. I finally said, I think I want to be an actor. And he paused for a second and he said, good, the world needs more Christian actors. 
So you can see. <laughs> okay, it's something. That's something. There's a stone to lay down there. It was, but it, you know, but it was like Ember, I think, that I want inside of me was very strong. And it 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 leads you it it leads you where you need to go if you listen to it. I think a lot of it was getting in, hearing Pete's story and then finding those things you relate to. And I think that's how you do that's how you do it on a television show. Um, which is what is this person trying to say, the the, the leader of this? And if it's a human story, it is a human being who has this desire, you can relate in some form. And it's finding that thing that you relate to and going all in on on relating to it. I think that's where we really connected with Pete. So in the story, there isn't really a clear personified villain, right? Which is usually what you get to, in real life, we sort of butt up against that, like kind of what you guys are talking about. And um, so how did you navigate that story-wise, plot-wise, her emotional journey through, right? I want to be a good daughter. What's the villain to that? You know, it's funny because we had in the first version we did, it was almost a Chinatown storyline. <laughs> Meg, I think you saw it where it's like Wade's mother was a villain. Yeah. Like they were going to blast through Firetown with a water. I was company. expecting her to be the villain, right? Were when we were about to meet her, I was like, okay, here it comes. Here oh, comes, it- you know, not because I wanted it or needed it, just because that it was just felt set up that way a little bit. And I was really happy when it wasn't. I was like, oh, that's delightful. You well, know, and- like, oh, I loved it. I, you know, and I think one of the things also is there, there's a there's a place where Bernie, and I think they tried it out a few times as they needed to, where Bernie was uh the antagonist. And you've got to try that on. And it, you know, and it was it was funny. I think we learned a lot from having the villain uh, with Wade's mom, where it was like, this feels like it's a love story. And can we do Bernie? Because he was a lovely guy in that version for the kind of the first time they were Ember and Bernie weren't at each other's heads. And we all found out, wow, we really like that. We like where Bernie is and attacking Ember or she, he's not the antagonist. And then there was this discussion of like, do we ha- what if we don't have that? Because it feels like the simpler way to go is Bernie is going to be actively against her. And in some ways, I guess he's the antagonist because the expectations he's putting on her are what are in the way, but he's almost like a benevolent jailer in, in some ways. And I think that's was a lot of work had to be done to make that actually feel like tension and feel compelling. Um, yeah, but it, it was, I think it was a lot of the tricks of the last yeah. three screenings was how do we make that work? Yeah, I, think- I love what you're saying about trying stuff on, right? You got to go down that path and down that path. Like what you said earlier about, well, that might not work, but let's go down a different path, right? So you have all well, these You're trying to make open. one thing work and you realize, well, that doesn't, but we figured out this. And I just want our emerging writers to hear, that's why you're writing many drafts. You know, it's not why you're, to have so- this expectation that you're just going to write it is not real. Well, in yeah. writing is free. It, it's like, honestly, sitting down and writing is free. We had a, a guy that we worked with who it's like, you'd you'd go down a pathway and he'd say, uh, or you'd pitch something. He's like, let's put on that sweater and see if it itches. <laughs> it was like, oh, please. But, it, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a, it's not a bad saying. It's, it's not like, a bad right. saying. But it's like, you've got to be willing to go down those pathways because those pathways will teach you something. Um, either give you, give you, be be a very clear nope nope and out of this or like you know that's not complete that brings me something but not everything what else do i need or like boom that's it you know you've got to be willing to to try pathway after pathway after pathway 
And um, it, before it, you find the right one, it's in a way it's embracing failure, which is so hard to do. It's like, how do you embrace that? A lot of these paths are going to fail. And that's part of it. You learn more from failing yeah. than you learn from succeeding, you know, truly. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I remember uh, pretty early in our career, we, Kat and I started playing this song, the United, uh, the President of the United States of America song, We're Not Gonna Make It. Do you know that song? Before every pitch we would go into, we'd just sing it in the car at the top of our lungs. And the lyrics are all about how we're gonna fail. We could never possibly make it as a band. And we we had decided early on, this job is about taking chances and a lot of those chances will fail. And I think that is advice both for the career, just embrace it. It's it's part of it. It's why a lot of writers like baseball, because if you're batting 300, you're a great baseball player, like comedy writers. If you're hitting 300 in the comedy room, you're doing pretty good. If yeah. Three out of 10 are hitting. And I think it's embracing failure on the page too. It's because you're going to learn more from that than you're going to learn from getting it right sometimes. So how do you manage that writing is free, but there's also this constant urgency to get it done, to figure it out, right? You do have deadlines. You know, there's the screening coming up or the pages are due for the session, you know, for the shoot tomorrow. And also as we age, as we get older. And so how do you, what tricks do you use to manage that, right? Yes, this is probably not going to work, obviously, right? We're just, we're going to fail. We're going in for the big risk. We're going to fail so that you don't, I don't know if that's quite what you were saying, but that's what I say. I'm going to jump off the bridge. I might as well just jump off the bridge wearing a feather boa and pantaloons, you know, shooting water guns. I so think, I think when we jump off the bridge with pantaloons and the water guns, we think it's the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, right. why else wouldn't you do it? But I'd be like, and I'm going to add a hat. Yeah. Ta-da! You know, so. It's somewhat, I, I feel like I heard Andrew Stanton say this is it's you're going to make a lot of mistakes to so get it done fast uh, in, in some ways. Has, has he said that? And I think that's been our attitude also, which is we will do our draft. So if we're sent off on script to write, um, you know, on, on staff, we have a, an episode due. We'll write the first draft of that thing the day one and it will be horrible. And it, but we will get it through it and it's awful. <laughs> And that allows us that little window of time. So now that we can, you know, kind of try stuff. Yeah. Is that an answer? Yeah. And so for a writer who might be what they call writer's block, right, which is not something I like to agree with is a thing that exists. Like, I can't write. I don't want to write. I don't know. I'm afraid to write. Just sitting down and writing that thing sort of will save you time in the long run. Whereas if you spend a week being afraid to sit down and write it for all the reasons, that's when yeah, you're out absolutely. Of time. I just my son's going through this right now on something he's supposed to write for school. And I spoke to a young filmmaker who's been working on something for years. And I was like, you just got to write this. You just and it's it's kind of both of them were like, but I don't know this and I don't know this in the audience. And this person said this and this person said that and this person said it needs to be this. And it's just like, just write it as badly as you can. Just literally just let it suck. And people just, it's such a block. And I would assume that when you're in a TV room, you know, I know at Pixar sometimes, tough shit. Like yeah. it's due. Like you don't get to do that. Like it does train your brain that you don't die when it's terrible. Right. It doesn't feel great, but you don't die. No, What's your experience? There is no like, we couldn't think of anything. Yeah. You're on staff. There's yeah. no like, oh, well, I just couldn't think of yeah. anything. It's like, think of something. It may be yeah. the worst thing in the world. Can I mean, you imagine? Can you imagine? being in a room and saying, I couldn't come up with anything. They're like, great, we'll get someone who can. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't feel like it today. There is no, I don't feel like it today. And it, but I do think you just, sometimes you have to sit down and say, I'm just going to write some shit. I'm just going to write some shit. 
And it's just like, and it's going to be shitty. And, but you usually find one sentence in there that you like, like, oh, did I just put those words together? That, uh, that's kind of cool. Can I build on that? Or did it lead me somewhere I didn't expect to go that, that inspires me for something else? Or is it all just shit? Now I've gotten that off my plate and now let me try this again. There's this uh, Neil Simon book. Is that the one wake me when it's funny? I think maybe, but it's Neil Simon's. Uh, and I remember he talks about writer's block and he says, writer's block isn't having no ideas. It's having too many ideas and no confidence to choose one of them. And so I guess what we're saying is that's your problem. If you're not writing is you, there's too many ideas and you don't have the confidence. So start whittling them away. Just grab one, try it. And then now, you know, that's not it, throw it out. And it's a way of kind of breaking through that, I think. And I'm having that, I've had that experience with my husband collaborating on this project where even just yesterday, he was like, what if we did this? And I was like, no, no, no. And he, but I know he's going to pitch it for the rest of the day. And I, and it's going to be quicker just to, you know, move the outline page over here and be like, okay, okay. If we did this crazy thing, which is crazy, what would it be? And we just started banging it out. Bang, 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 bang. And yes, it didn't work. But we did find something. He felt heard. We tried it. Like for collaboration, too, I would think you got to try it, even if it's uh, feeling not good to one of you. Do you f or look at their? Uh, you guys can't see them, but they're both laughing and looking at each other. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen right now. Well, we had this this uh, thing that we figured out because we used to battle over which way to go, like you're talking about. And then sometimes we just wouldn't have time. And then we came up with this thing that was, the third way, it sounds all very like, you know, you know like you retreaty kind of talk, but the it matrix. Was, <laughs> but it was like, um, if the, we argue a little bit and if we can't agree on one or the other, we literally have to come up with a third way and it can't be my way, but 10% different or yours. It has to be completely different. And right away you discover if someone's going to be like, you, I don't want to come up with a third way. You care more about it than I do. Let's just do your way. Or you just come up with this. <laughs> third way yeah. that works fantastic and i think that's how we resolved all that is it's like third way and, so, yeah. and truly someone will just be like, i don't want a third way we'll just let's just do yours it's like a threat <laughs> third way great get on board or third way and that's going to be a lot harder and take a lot longer but i think it's it's such a great option because it could be the answer yeah yeah it really could be it's and it's that third way is uh, honestly is where we've come up with some of the craziest shit you've ever seen that we put that we've loved show. yeah that we've ended up really loving so how would you suggest somebody on their own do that where okay i tried this ugh, i tried this ugh, okay i got to come up with more ideas but then you have to let go of those ideas one and two without dragging any legacy things into the third way by yourself that sounds really hard you know, because I'm always trying to build on things. Maybe well, we I'm just coming up with an excuse not to write this afternoon. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm very complicated, but I'm not judging. We have this thing where we we uh, will we'll, we'll save a file as like crazy try. Right. And then now that crazy try because you have the other version. And now this is just this is like Looney Tunes. We're just going to try something completely off the rails. And. Now it's in a different document and somehow it feels like it's not destructive. And I think it's that's... safe. Right. It's a it's, crazy try. It's guys. a crazy try. You can do whatever you want. You could, you know, they could suddenly break out into, you know, a porn movie in the middle of your script, you know, but it's, but it's not in the paper <laughs> you're going to be turning into anybody. 
Um, no, that's the porn try. We always do oh, the that, porn that, try. Too. I'm yeah. sorry, I confused that with the porn try. <laughs> like, try you say the porn try? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. <laughs> whatever, whatever you need to do to get through to the draft. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. No, I really, I do that. Yeah, I have like so many files that iterate through the day so that I can feel like I have something that might work, and then. The, the important thing about that, though, is I am terrible at organization. So organizationally, I'll have all these different tries. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, which one was the one I landed on? And then I have to go back through and say, but and but what will normally happen when I do that is like, oh, I like this sentence from this one. I like that thought from that one. And I like that thought. And so I, I kind of end up doing an amalgamation I mean, this, this is organization is actually a process superpower that's it that is my all that sentence is my middle name these <laughs> cats so disorganized i could be like oh man the only version we could find was my way oh well let's just do <laughs> it's all it's all a head game it's like uh how on earth do you convince yourself to move forward like it must be like what running a marathon's like or even running a hundred yards, I wouldn't know either yeah. of those things. I wouldn't know those things. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I never want to know those things. But here's the th here's the thing. It's like, uh, I mean, I've been really mad when I've been driving. You know, like I'm on the freeway, and suddenly the perfect phrase comes into my head. That like, oh, that's the that's the answer. That's the thing. I'll remember this. I'll remember this. I'll remember this. And then I get home, and I have no idea what it was. I I can't. I can pull up two words in my brain. But I can't remember that it's like waking up from a dream and it was like such a clear dream. And now in the light of day, I have no idea what it was, but I'm left with a feeling. And um, and then all you can do is go with that feeling. And because it's like in a lot of ways, the exact words are not important. It's that the thought and the feeling behind it. So, um, you know, as long as you can remember, I think I feel like as long as you can remember what that felt like, you can recreate it. It won't be exactly the same. It won't be the exact same words, but that that thing will still go into your your project. You haven't lost it. Yeah, I think that's uh, really Love powerful because there have time have been times when I have written the thing down somehow, like on voice text or I've woken up and written it down and it's not as good as I thought it was but the feeling is there like I had this dream and I wrote down in the middle of the night duck boat and I was like sure it was it was it and then in the morning I woke up I'm like duck boat <laughs> but I can remember the feeling of the dream still even though duck boat is absurd but oh. I will one day make duck boat I just <laughs> don't know how to quite translate it but I remember the feeling and that feeling felt so good of oh Oh, this is the idea. You know, it has all these elements, but you know, what I wrote down was duck boat. So who knows what you would have written down in the car had you had the had the chance, right? It's you were holding on to the feeling. Yeah. I always I always picture spouses of writers and how hard that must be for like you're living with someone who suddenly just goes duck boat and like runs out of the room. <laughs> Or I'll do this. I'll be like, okay, to my husband, I have this idea. And I start pitching it through, but I haven't thought it all the way through. And I get to the point in the middle of the scene and I'm like, and then, okay, let me just back up a little. So earlier, what I think happened is- Like a bad pitch. The point Yeah, thing. it's the worst pitch ever. And he's like, I I lost your, I'm what? And I'm always like, okay, never mind. I'll go write it down. So in a way I use him as this, I punish him as my sounding board, but yes, like duck boat and then- Totally. Where'd she go? No idea. <laughs> this has been so much fun, you guys. Uh, Kat and John, I was so excited to have you on the show. Um, 
And we always end every show with the same three questions. So we're going to ask you guys. Um, what The first question is, what brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? Who goes first? You go. Uh I honestly I think it's getting uh, getting the laugh I, I hate to say it but it's like whether that's on the page or whether it's on screen or with the crew that will never be or in the room <laughs> it'll never get in the script I think I kind of live for that a little bit and uh I, I remember when I was uh in college I first got into improv I was like ah, this I think I want to do this I want to do stuff make people laugh and someone was like that's so giving like you want to make people laugh and I was like no, no, I want to make people laugh. Like it's a selfish thing. <laughs> then I think I come to realize that I think it's like it's a connection is ultimately what it's about. If you can get someone to laugh with you, you've made some kind of connection in some form. But uh, yeah, that's that's what brings me the most joy in showbiz. Cat doesn't have anything that brings her joy. In I don't have anything that brings me joy. You <laughs> got notes today, so in general, uh, no, I think when I. Uh, uh, the thing that really brings me joy is that feeling where I've cracked a moment. There's a, there's a, uh, you suddenly you're driving or you're half asleep or you're talking to somebody and suddenly that unexpected thing leaps into your head and, uh, that you didn't even see coming. And, uh, and, uh, and you get the chance to write it down. Even I have, I mean, my notes are full of, of like one sentence things that I know I'm going to use for something at some point, but it's like that, 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 I don't know how to describe it. It's like that moment where a, a, a beautiful little thought that's just perfect for what you need or what you can save to use later just suddenly appears. I think it's, it's magic. It's just, it's magic. It's beyond, it's beyond words. There's something in our brain that is just beyond words. And I love it when that plus the words connect. That's my greatest joy, I think, in writing. Which from now on should be called a duck boat, having a duck boat. Having a duck boat. <laughs> I mean, I'll make a t-shirt. <laughs> that will be what that idea actually was, yeah. is that I had to make a t-shirt. It's all coming together. All right. So uh, here's the second question. What pisses you off about writing? Uh, I think the thing that pisses me off about it, and I guess this is collaborative writing, is when uh, someone kills the play of it in some ways. Like I'm talking about that thing with a little thing you're blowing on to try to like, here's an idea. If, and, you know, someone steps on it and is like, maybe there's fire over here. And and that feeling when people are shutting people down um, instead of rolling with it. I think that's if I catch myself getting angry in showbiz, I think I think that's that's it. But we worked with a guy who said, if you ever get angry in showbiz, it's because your ego has been hurt. He's like, always, if you're angry, it's because in some form your ego has been hurt. So maybe that's not why I get angry when people step on it, because we're not collaborating. It's because I wanted my idea to go through. <laughs> It can be both. I think it is. Both. Yeah. Um, I think hearing no is the thing that that uh, is, and and it's like hearing no from an editor, a producer, a whatever. I hate hearing. It's like the thing that I hate the most is hearing no from somebody you're collaborating with, or that no inside your own head is is and so i guess that's just i'm talking about just generally negative negativity 
everybody hates negativity, but it's like, I hate hearing no. Um, particularly when, um, uh, uh, look, my idea may not be the greatest idea ever, but don't say no, please don't say no. Say yes. And say, you know, well, what if we, whatever, but just yeah. don't say no, it infuriates me. That's a great answer. To know. So um, no, no, that's not the answer. You guys. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cut that from the and, show. Um, <laughs> and it's not funny. You guys, no. <laughs> It is funny. It's just so unhelpful, right? I was just getting working with someone on something and I felt like I was getting a lot of no's and I was like, this is just not helpful. Like at, at best, this is very unhelpful right now. So I totally yeah. agree. Um, the last question we ask, and this will be interesting because you guys are a partnership, um, but if you could go back and have a coffee with your younger selves, what advice would you give them? And I think it, I would love to hear you answer that maybe individually and then also as a team, I'd be curious to hear. Uh. I think it would be different what I would say as a team. Uh, individually, I think I would say don't stop wasting, don't waste a bunch of time in your 20s worried people think you're stupid. <laughs> if I'm 100% honest, I think I wasted too much time. Like, <laughs> this is good. I don't know. Did I talk about that too long? And it's like, it's a waste of energy and it doesn't do any good. They're going to think you're stupid or not. I don't know. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> That's good I advice, I think, for me to hear right now and for so many of our listeners to be reminded of. So thank you. Stop thank worrying you. about what other people think. That's, I mean, I guess that's a, a broader way to say it. Stop where, don't waste your time worrying what other people think. It is a complete waste of your time. I got to go with that one, to be honest. It's, it's like, it is, it is a thing. It's like the no, it's like, don't listen to the no. Um, don't waste your time wondering what other people, don't waste your time wondering if you can do it or if you're allowed to do it. Don't waste your time on that. Just say yes to yourself and do it. Try it. You might fail, but say yes to yourself and do it. Can I tell you a lovely thing Kat did? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, we were back in Battle Creek where Kat grew up before uh, her family moved to Kansas. And we went to a mall because that's it. There was only where we were staying. That's where you could eat like BW3s or another thing like that. And so we were eating like BW3s and we're like, oh, there's a movie theater in this mall. We walked around the corner and they were playing Elemental. And so there was a poster up and Kat had gone to that theater when she was younger. And so she's like, I want to get a picture of the movie poster. And as we were doing that, uh, she was suddenly like, you know what? Cause there were a bunch of teenagers working in there. And she's like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to tell them I used to go to this theater and that I, I'm one of the writers on this movie because I wish someone had done that for me, which I think you would have told your younger self at the coffee. And she went in and I was like, Oh, don't do that. That is such a setting yourself up for no one giving a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to be like, guys, come on, let's all, let's be happy about this. But Kat went in and told these, these, uh, these people that and they were so excited and they gathered around and took a picture with her and it was really it was so sweet all about inspiring to and and it was like you can do whatever your dreams are it doesn't mean leave town but you can do anything and yeah. that was what she wanted to pass on to them what i love uh, the most about this story is the generosity and that it did not come from spite and how you like me now there's two <laughs> different ways to have done that <laughs> And I like your way, but I know what I would do. So <laughs> I feel if, you saw, if you saw the faces of these, it was so these sweet. kids, I'll send you, I'll send you guys the picture, but it, oh, yes. but uh, yeah, I wish somebody, I wish somebody could have done that for me. I wish somebody mm -hmm. 
come to me and said, you can do it, Kat, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. It doesn't matter if you're from a small town. It doesn't matter if you're not from a rich family. It doesn't matter. You know, it's all of those roadblocks we put up for ourselves that we say we're not worth it or that's out of my reach. I don't you know, it's not, it really isn't. And I wanted those kids sitting there. And I, uh, one of them in particular reached out to me afterwards and told me how much it meant to him that, that I had done that. And I gave, I gave them all my email address and said, if they ever, you know, whatever, but, uh, but it really, and I think I got as much or more out of that than, than they did, because it felt really good to be able to pass something along and then remember myself from that time, you know, feeling hopeless, thinking that this was it. The, the little town of Battle Creek, Michigan was going to be the end of my life. And they were um, like, do you guys remember when that lady with all the buffalo wing sauce on her lips came in? To- <laughs> <laughs> Dreams can come true. <laughs> Thank you so much, you guys, for coming on the show. I was so excited to have you on. Um, and you did not let me down. You guys, it was amazing. Thank Thanks. you so much for being here. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. This is great. Thanks so much to Kat and John for joining us on today's show. Elemental is, I believe, still in the movie theaters and look for it soon on Disney+. And please join our Facebook group where a lot of people are finding support and connecting. It's emerging writers and professional writers and artists and creators in all disciplines. And it's a great place to find some comfort and a little bit of stability uh, during what's going on in our industry right now. And also come on over to our Patreon. We've got a lot of people over there and it's a wonderful place. Lorena are really enjoying interacting with everybody and hearing your stories and, and helping you. Honestly, it's it's been super fun. And I have started to post a little bit more on the Patreon, sort of a little accountability uh, things once a week. So if you're interested in that, come on over Ooh. and check it out. Awesome. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. <laughs>